It's 6 p.m. and you are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, April 2nd, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC News headlines, the Racial Reckoning Project has the latest from the Derek Chauvin trial. Then the California Report from KQED Public Radio surveys the day's COVID-19 news, including new federal guidelines on travel for the vaccinated. A roundup of regional cultural news and weekend weather follows. Finally, Felton Pruitt talks to Pete Luday, chairperson of the California Bluegrass Association, about events designed to provide some musical consolation for folks missing out on the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival. This is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Samantha Hong Long with today's update. On the fourth day of the murder trial of Derek Chauvin, Courtney Ross, George Floyd's girlfriend of nearly three years, shared their struggles of opioid addiction. We both suffered from chronic pain. Mine was in my neck and his was in his back. We both had prescriptions. We got addicted and tried really hard to break that addiction many times. It's worth noting that in the first week of trial, there's been a lot of discussion of Floyd's character, even though it's Chauvin who's on trial. Racial justice scholar Uhuru Williams says in cases like this, it's typical that the burden of character falls on the victim. Unfortunately, in a legal contest like this, you often have more protections for the person who's on trial. Williams says it's fortunate so much of the incident was captured on video. And this incident is documented from so many different perspectives, and all of those seem to bear out the idea that George Floyd, while certainly agitated by the arrest and what was happening, didn't do anything to provoke what we ultimately witnessed. Now retired Minneapolis Police Sergeant David Pluger was Chauvin's supervisor in May of 2020. He testified that putting a knee on someone's neck is an acceptable use of force as long as the subject is resisting arrest. Do you have an opinion as to when the restraint of Mr. Floyd should have ended in this encounter? Yes. What is it? When Mr. Floyd was no longer offering up any resistance to the officers, they could have ended the restraint. And that was after he was handcuffed and on the ground and no longer resisting? Correct. Minneapolis Police Chief Arredondo is expected to testify in court Friday. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Samantha Honglong. Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. A new audit has found that as COVID-19 cases surged in the winter here in California, the State Department of Public Health fell well short of its goals on contact tracing. The report from the state auditor found that in a one-month period ending on December 24th, state and local health agencies had only conducted successful contact tracing interviews for 40 percent of total cases, and staff was able to identify possible close contacts in just 16 percent of those cases. In a positive development on the vaccine front, the city of Los Angeles is taking over operations at a mass vaccination site at Cal State L.A. that had been run by the federal government. And Governor Gavin Newsom says Alameda County will likely take control of the site at the Oakland Coliseum. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. 
The federal government opened sites at Cal State Los Angeles and the Oakland Coliseum in part to provide vaccines to nearby communities of color. But the feds have only promised to run the sites until April 11th. That's led the city of L.A. to step in and keep the SoCal site running. And Newsom says he's working with Alameda County to get them the keys to the Coliseum location, even if that site might change form in the future. They will have a more distinctive and unique operation than the current one uh, because of some of the logistics concerns as baseball season reopens. That's at the site of the Oakland A's. Newsom says the two locations have delivered just 4 percent of California's doses. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Meanwhile, the CDC is issuing new guidance on travel for people who are fully vaccinated. The agency says for domestic travel, people who are two weeks past their final shot don't need to get a coronavirus test before or after their trips and don't have to self-quarantine after traveling. And for international travel, fully vaccinated people don't need to be tested unless it's required by the destination. The new guidance comes a day after California's Department of Public Health lifted its own advisory asking people to stay within 120 miles of their homes. It's still unclear if the state will change its travel policies to match those of the CDC. The CDC is advising everyone to continue to wear masks. Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org slash voices. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2022 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And now for a preview of our sister show, The California Report magazine. A few weeks ago, KQED's health reporters went inside two hospitals in Sacramento to see how the pandemic has changed the way doctors do their jobs. Leslie McClurg went inside an intensive care unit, and April Domboski was in the emergency room. They both join me now. Good morning. And I want to ask you both, after reporting from home for a year, what stood out to you most about being in the hospital? April, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like I've been in a convent all year, and it was so striking to show up in an environment that was actually quite crowded and really, really noisy. It was also really intense to just see the pandemic play out. You know, I've been writing all year about shortness of breath, for example. It's this common COVID symptom, but to actually see somebody grasping for breath was just a completely different thing. How about you, Leslie? I would say the thing that stuck out so much for me was the lack of kind of warmth at the bedside. I've heard doctors say that all the new pandemic protocols prevent that, you know, kind of warmth, that care. And you've got people who are on their deathbeds and the doctors and nurses who are coming into care for them can't hold their hands and the rooms are loud because there's these big negative pressure fans and they're in all this gear kind of making them look like Martians, you know, the doctors and the nurses. And this person is all alone in there about to die. And there's so much distance between them and the communication that's happening with the doctors and the nurses. It was pretty gut-wrenching. Yeah, it must be so shocking to see that in person. We've heard the stories this past year about doctors and nurses wishing so much they could 
be there physically for these people. But obviously, there are so many restrictions that prevent that. April, what surprised you most about the ways the jobs of staff at these hospitals have changed? You know, the thing that really surprised me most was doctors in the emergency room talking about how fewer patients are coming in. And this was something that we heard about in the beginning of the pandemic when everything shut down. You know, people weren't driving. People weren't going to school. And so people weren't getting in car crashes and kids weren't, you know, falling off the monkey bars in the playground. And so that actually had an effect on the finances in the emergency room, an effect that actually is still kind of continuing right now. So you had these emergency room doctors who are facing all kinds of new risks because of the pandemic. And at the same time, their hours were cut. They were taking pay cuts. I hadn't thought about that. How about you, Leslie? The thing that hit me was that COVID has all these ripple effects, right? So I talked to this palliative care nurse, and usually her job is helping people manage their pain or maybe helping families come together to make plans for when those final days unfold, you know, kind of advanced care planning. But right now, she is totally overwhelmed and her patient load has exponentially increased because so many people who didn't get their routine care throughout the year, people who didn't get their cancer screenings, etc., are in such bad shape that she, instead of managing their pain, is transitioning a lot of her patients to hospice. So it's kind of this other death wave that's unfolding that's not even because of COVID, but, you know, tangentially related. They're kind of like collateral damage from this last year. Well, April Domboski and Leslie McClurg, thank you guys both so very much for going into these hospitals and bringing out this very moving story. You can hear April and Leslie's documentary this weekend on the California Report magazine. Guys, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lily. And that is the California Report for this Friday, April 2nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Have a great weekend. Indoor concerts, conferences, seated live events, sports, and private gatherings can resume in California starting April 15th, state officials announced Friday. The state also significantly loosened its restrictions for outdoor gatherings as its COVID-19 test positivity rate nears a record low. Everything is moving in the correct direction, said Dee Dee Myers, the state's top economic advisor, during a news briefing announcing the new guidance and reported in the San Francisco Chronicle. Myers said there will be more changes to come as officials work toward retiring California's color-coded reopening plan. Under the new guidance, such indoor events would not be allowed in the purple or most restrictive tier, but could take place starting April 15th in the other tiers, subject to capacity limits and safety modifications. Indoor events may resume in the red tier at 10% capacity for venues of up to 1,500 people and 20% capacity for venues with a capacity greater than that. The venues can fill as much as 50% of their capacity if all guests show proof of full vaccination or are tested within 72 hours of the event. As of Friday, nearly half of California's counties were in the orange tier, with much of the rest, including Nevada County, in the substantial or red tier. 
The new rules are a sharp turnaround from the slow pace California has taken on lifting restrictions and come as the governor urges people to continue being vigilant about wearing masks and maintaining social distancing. Nearly 48,000 Nevada County residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine. The county's public health department on Thursday expanded eligibility to all residents 16 and older at its Whispering Pines Clinic. This afternoon, Nevada County Public Health reported 21 new confirmed cases for the day. Almost simultaneous with this news, the folks who produced the High Sierra Music Festival in Quincy announced today that they have rescheduled this year's festival for the last weekend in June 2022. While noting that live events appear to be just within reach, the High Sierra management team said that there were simply too many unknowns still in the mix to plan the event with a sufficient lead time. For these reasons, the team stated, we have decided to postpone again and bring back High Sierra in 2022 in its full unfettered self as it should be. No one is more disappointed than we are. Our community this week lost Steve Jardina, owner with his wife, Cindy, of the Golden Era Lounge on Broad Street in Nevada City. The Jardinas were well-known in town for their loving restoration of the former Serino's restaurant into a craft cocktail lounge with a golden era theme. A documentary film about Jardina's journey of living with pancreatic cancer, entitled The Hill Witches of Nevada County, will premiere Sunday at 4 p.m. online via Zoom in an event sponsored by the Center for the Arts in Grass Valley. Finally, the NorCal Fringe Theater Festival, formerly known as the Nugget Fringe, returns this weekend and next with a plethora of performances in virtual form. Find out more at norcalfringe.org. In the regional weather forecast for the weekend, tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear with an overnight low in the mid-50s. Saturday, mostly sunny with a high of 70 degrees and a low of 52 On Sunday in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a high near 70 degrees and a low of 48. Similar weather is expected through next week with a slight cooling trend into the following weekend. In Truckee, partly cloudy tonight with a low of 33 degrees. Saturday and Sunday in Truckee, generally sunny with highs in the mid-60s and lows in the mid-30s. Mostly sunny days through the week in Truckee with cooler temperatures as the week goes on. In Sacramento, mostly clear tonight with a low of 45 degrees. Mostly sunny Saturday and Sunday in Sacramento with highs near 75 degrees and lows in the mid-40s. The forecast for the rest of the week in Sacramento is sunny with high temperatures in the 70s and lows in the mid-40s. It's a good news, bad news situation when it comes to prospects for the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival, usually an annual treat at the Nevada County Fairgrounds. No festival this year, but as Pete Luday of the California Bluegrass Association tells Felton Pruitt, the CBA is planning webcasts galore and even some live and in-person special events. We're talking with Pete Luday, the chairperson for the California Bluegrass Association. We were going to talk with you, Pete, about Father's Day Bluegrass Festival, which, of course, is always a very exciting event for us up here in Grass Valley, Nevada City, and something that KVMR has been involved with for over 30 years. 
unfortunately, we couldn't do it last year, and now it still looks like we can't do the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival this year. Regrettably, that's true. We're very sorry to hear that. It's great to be with you here on KVMR. You guys have been so supportive over the years and can't wait till we're able to get back together in person. Low man, I, I second that emotion. Let's talk about it. So you don't have the festival this year, but you do have events going on. CBA is very active right now. We are. We're doing lots of stuff, sort of taking advantage of the uh, pandemic. We're all often to uh, hunker down and get other work done. It's really unfortunate because it was like almost a glimpse that we might be able to get together in June, but it was just too early. So instead, we're doing a couple things. We have an online webcast series called TurnYourRadio.online, and that'll be bringing lots of great live bluegrass to the uh, webcasts starting uh, this month, actually, April 24th. And then we'll be holding a monthly, another one on May 22nd, and then Father's Day weekend, Saturday, June 19th. So those will be 6 p.m. Uh, webcasts featuring lots of terrific music, uh, lively MCs, and we'll be doing an online auction and a raffle. Uh, some of the bands we have lined up for that, Dale and Bradley, will be kicking off our first show. And Becky Bueller and Ned Dubrowski, um, Scott Gates, the onlys for some old-time music, lots, lots more. So that's going to be a really exciting webcast series. And that's all at CBA on the web. Is that the address? Yeah, it'll, you'll get there. Um, we have actually a whole URL set up just for it. If you go to turnyourradio.online, you'll find all the information, and you'll also be able to watch the webcast there. You can also watch it from the CBA Facebook page or the CBA YouTube channel. It'll be all those places at the same time. We just got confirmation that we'll be raffling off a brand-new custom Santa Cruz Guitar Company, Tony Rice model. This is a fantastic dreadnought. Get a chance for that. Raises money for the CBA and for artists. What could be better? Yeah, that sounds great. Tony Rice guitar is always a very special thing. (laughs) And now you've got uh, the music camp. Now, the music camp used to happen like the week before the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival. What's the situation with that? Exactly. Well, we couldn't give up that tradition, although we couldn't get together in person. We said, we're going to carry on. So we are going to have music camp, and it is going to be the week before the uh, Father's Day Festival. It's a one-day online music camp this year. That's Saturday, June 12th. goes from roughly noon till 6. And we have a huge lineup of some of the best instructors out there that will be reaching you via the interwebs. For instance, Alice Gerards agreed to lead our singing workshop. If you're a banjo player, you could learn from Allison Brown or Tony Trishka, mandolin. We've got Sharon Gilchrist and John Reichman. We have Jim Nunnally and Jack Tuttle with guitar. I guess we're supposed to say Molly Tuttle's dad now. That's <laughs> <his> new identity. <laughs> and uh, Kimber Ludiker will be handling fiddle. So that's all available, very reasonable pricing. Online music camp, June 12th, from noon till 6 p.m. online. And you can learn more about it at cbaweb.org. Okay. Boy, that's a lot of high-priced talent there. What other events does uh, CBA have going on for the rest of the summer? Well, we got a couple things going on. We have uh, a new CBA Youth Academy online, and this will be more of a year-round event. As you're probably familiar, we have a, a terrific educational program for youth during the Father's Day Festival, but now we want to extend that to an online version, kind of learning from everything that's been going on with webcasting. So we'll have a new section of our website set up where kids could access um, a big songbook, see tablature, see demonstrations of how to play music starting from the very basics on each of the instruments via um, experts on YouTube. A really fun environment with little cartoon characters to help you learn and uh, some live events. So that's 
the Online Youth Academy launching this June on our website. And by the way, we have a whole new website coming along as well. That'll be live in a couple of weeks. So it'll be very exciting to see that. Is that at CBA on the web? Yeah, still be on CBA on the web. It'll okay. just be replaced. And we have a couple of, you can also get there at californiabluegrass.net, for instance. We'll take you there and, and we'll be publicizing that more. But there'll be lots of information and uh, um, we have a, the whole calendar of events, and lists of bands and luthiers and uh, new welcome columns and articles every day. So it'll be a very vibrant community for us uh, lonely bluegrass pickers. We're talking with Pete Luday. He's the chairperson for the California Bluegrass Association, who put on the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival out in Grass Valley every year at the fairgrounds. Now, we're not going to have it this year, unfortunately, so we're looking at 2022 for the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival. Do you have any headline acts that you can announce right now? You know, we are so close. We've been working to get a number of people lined up for June, Father's Day 2022. It's very exciting. We've had lots of interest from bands that had been booked in 2020 and actually are very close to uh, getting a few of those confirmed. So um, very shortly, we'll be able to talk about some of those. Tickets for June 2022 will go on sale this November, the early bird versions although we'll be announcing some of the bands before then, and we think it's going to be the best festival ever next summer. We just can't wait to get out to those fairgrounds, because that's just a magical place for music. You know, and um, in case you're thinking that we're going to be all online until then, CBA is actively looking at some other ways that we could all get together. Unfortunately, not in beautiful Grass Valley, but um, we are looking to have our regular fall camp out this October, uh, it'll be in early October in Lodi at the fairgrounds. That's always a great event. A brand new event's being planned in November in Southern California because we are, after all, the California Bluegrass Association. It's a big state. So we're going to be down in Carlsbad for um, the first ever Southern California picking jam in November. Uh, we'll have the Bakersfield Great 48 Jam in January, spring camp out, and then back in Grass Valley. So there's lots going on. We're glad to see that CBA is certainly charging full steam ahead through this pandemic. We are. It's been a bit, we have a terrific group of volunteers. Matter of fact, it's a good time to say if anybody's interested in uh, helping out with any of these things, you can go to cbaweb.org and contact one of us on the board. We're always looking for enthusiastic people, you know, a couple extra hours a week or a month to help out in some fashion. Everything from uh, IP lawyers to um, people that know electrical systems for the fairground to booking agents to... Uh, people that know Excel, all those folks are helping out to volunteer, all volunteer organization to do, make these things happen. Well, we all can't wait till we're out there and sitting back and listen to mandolins and fiddles and, you know, just having a great old time under those trees at the fairgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to see you there. If you want more information, I assume it's CBA on the web. And then is there a phone number for people that are a little internet challenged? We don't really have a phone number to tell you the truth that uh, works right now, but, uh, the, the web's the best ways to reach us, or email, and uh, it's, it's a good prompting. We should probably get a generic phone number uh, set up again to be able to answer those questions. Bluegrass uh, hasn't really changed too much in the last couple of years. There are some wonderful new acts that have come out, so uh, we just look forward to see what you guys come up with for the 2022 Father's Day Bluegrass Festival. So great talking to you. Thank you. We've been talking with Pete Luday, the chairperson for the California Bluegrass Association. That's our newscast. 
Stay tuned for the California Report magazine coming up next with an investigative look at how the pandemic has played out at two Sacramento hospitals. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with more news Monday at 6 p.m.